Do you know the terror of he who falls asleep? To the very toes he is terrified, because the ground gives way under him and the dream begins. Frederick Nietzsche. I was worried about today because of the dream I told you about. I'll go baby down. No, I found something. And then there they were. powerful magnet that creates a magnetic field. When wires are rotated rapidly through this field, then a current of electricity is produced. Now, if we only had a superhero who could stand here and turn the generator real fast, then we wouldn't need to burn so much fuel to make. Two minutes, a production of Syncbook Radio, and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at Syncbook. Today is the 12th day of November, where we are going to talk to Rodney Asher, the documentary filmmaker whose subject material is so real, in quotation marks, that it is horrifying. We talked to him on episode 181 and 86 of 42 Minutes, and you can find his Skype interview at the Oli Sync Summit Vimeo account. So, how are you today, Mr. Asher? I'm good. Good to talk to you. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. Thank you for joining us, of course. But um, I think 
for our listeners out there or anyone who might have found this interview because they just watched The Nightmare and they Googled your name, uh, I think the question a lot of people want to know is why did you make this film? <laughs> well, I mean, mostly because it was a subject that I found really interesting and um, um, probably because it was close enough into a horror movie um, and it was something that people were uh, interested in uh, helping me put together. Now, in the film, it's also said that you yourself have experienced sleep paralysis. We may have already gone over this material before in previous podcasts, but I would like to know if you're okay with actually expressing your personal experience. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I talk a little bit about it in the film, and it seems to have become, you know, um, you know, one of the main sort of discussion points around the movie. But, you know, my experience isn't that unusual. You know, statistics that I've come across, you know, put anywhere between 6 and 20% you know, of people of having gone through at least, you know, some version of it. Um, though I think most everyone who does, I get, the, I get the sense that a lot of people sort of suffer in silence and i you know, and I get message after message from people, you know, who see the film and say, oh my God, I thought I was the only person in the world this ever happened to. I think people are, sometimes people have been afraid to talk about it. Hmm. Uh, well, it's, it's interesting. I've experienced sleep paralysis myself, so I didn't know what to expect when I went and, uh, premiered viewed your or, or at least viewed your uh your film up at the stanley um it has an it had an effect on me i, I really enjoyed it first off thank you for making it and i understand the fact that you know um there's a connection of course with this film that i had physical effects on my body because i was familiar with the the material like the actual experience but what struck me as a surprise and which I've mentioned to you before is while I'm watching the film, I realize everyone in the movie, including yourself, are talking about the fact that your experience was um, represented on a film that they were watching themselves, whether it be like The Nightmare on Elm Street and, and so forth and so on. And then... And, that's very similar to how the room 237 inspects the shining if you know what I mean did you did you expect that no it was a surprise although maybe it shouldn't have been too much of a surprise since you know again I had had a similar experience in my case it was you know there's something that looks an awful lot like a shadow man in the opening credits of natural born killers and you know I saw that film before you know, I knew what sleep paralysis was or whether it had ever happened to anyone else. And I had no other explanation, you know, other than a supernatural encounter. And when I saw, you know, the figure in that film that looked just like the one I had seen, you know, I was completely dumbstruck, um, you know, and thought that this was some kind of, um, some kind of communication from the filmmakers, you know, to, uh, to, uh, people who had gone through something similar and um, you know that kind of threw me for a loop but i was equally struck um you know talking to talking to the the people in the movie that had all gone through similar things you know one of them you know talked about a scene in communion um you know the adaption of the uh, whitley striber book and someone else you know nightmare on elm street which you know the connection is 
pretty clear um, in very quickly after the second or third person said something like that, you know, that became, you know, one of my go-to questions. Hey, this is Alan here. I just, if you don't mind, I want to jump in. This might might be going a little bit to the deep end, deep end early in the, in the interview, but right on. <laughs> all right, I think I think we just got to go for it because so this idea of the the being things being represented either in the films or 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 perhaps influencing you touch in in the Nightmare documentary, you touch on Nightmare on Elm Street that I believe you say Wes Craven had his own influences, that he was aware of certain things like this, or at least um, uh, Eastern concepts similar to this, that he, that he touches on and influenced him, but that he then in turn inspires a whole generation of people to have their own nightmares. Um, we have, throughout the film, we keep seeing these things that look kind of like gray aliens, but have almost like TV static on their bodies. There's another guy who is getting messages from the TV. It was almost like a poltergeist type thing where the, the creatures are talking to him through the TV to give a message. I mean, I... Well, and it was I, the guy who got one from his telephone. Um, right. Which, <laughs> Let me again, was, which, again, was another big surprise to me, the whole consumer electronics connection, which was something I was not looking for, not expecting, you know, when I got into it. You know, in the st- and the you know the aliens with the TV static, you know when uh, Forrest was describing those to me, I had never heard of anything like it. Um, though maybe it recalled to me the conclusion of altered states, but certainly not in connection with sleep paralysis. Though of course, after the film came out, you know every once in a while I'll get a message from someone who has seen something similar. So it's not you know a, a completely isolated case, um, you know, for him. So I want to throw like three things at you and you pick on which one strikes you. Go for you. it. So uh, I was struck by, have you ever seen uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me? Oh, many times. Right. So the, the scene where uh, David Bowie comes into the FBI headquarters. Oh, that's an, such an amazing scene. Yeah. Right. And what happens? You keep seeing the TV static and then the man from the other place goes, electricity, right? Ooh, and it's uh-huh. this. It's like that this was sort of the entranceway into the other world. Then you even, um, I'm thinking of uh, They Live, like the goggles. I want to touch on that in a minute. But I noticed all these little, what seemed like references to The Shining. You have like the TV station is 42. There's a woman from Torrance. She says, oh, I was living in Torrance at the time. There's another character named Danny. And then you do this slow zoom in on one of your reenactments, which looks very much like the slow zoom in of Dick Halloran in The Shining. And then it occurs to me that in that scene, what is he doing? He's watching the TV. In bed. He's in bed. He's he's frozen in bed watching TV when it starts. Well, and other folks have mentioned that the kid in our film, the one who's on the bed of stuffed animals, looks like um, Danny Lloyd, which... You know, I have to say, was not something that I had planned on. You know, some like some of that. You know, some of it looking, ha- you know, having a little bit of a, a Kubrick looking feel. Oh, is... but come on, some of it's intentional. The channel no, forty two. Some of is... it is. Some of it is. Channel Channel forty two. You know, well, because you know, Channel forty. He didn't specify a particular station. You know, and wouldn't have remembered it because he was so young. You know, so that was a choice of mine, but. I, I certainly couldn't have had any control over Torrance, California, where this woman's story took place. 
right. But you see the connections. I mean, in a way. Oh yeah. Kind of, well, see, and then this is the my my original question is why would you make this film? Because you're intentionally fucking with people. I mean, <laughs> is this a malicious act? Are you trying to spread? Why would it be okay for you to give somebody else sleep paralysis? Well. That's why this this yeah. stuff is horrifying because you're dealing with really affecting people. Well, you know, it it, it kind of comes to the subject of sleep paralysis is what is is what we chose to cover something that you know i find fascinating and if you guys weren't interested yourself we probably wouldn't be here um and when <laughs> the and when the guy in the movie talks about it being contagious everything he says about it are everything about that idea are things that are relevant to the film it is interesting it is frightening and it is authentic to his to his experience you know, um, I wanted the movie, you know, everyone wants the movie to be interesting and I want to be authentic to the guy's um, story. And because there's a notion that these experiences are related to the evolution of horror movies coming out of, you know, folklore um, and fairy tales and horror novels, you know, anything that made the movie scary is kind of on theme. Um you know, I don't wish anyone, <laughs> I, I, I didn't want, I wasn't trying to make a weaponized film. But, but I'm but sure the, you realize that's the scariest part about it. Yeah, After that's, the movie, but, I'm but, sitting there going, oh yeah. God, please don't let this start happening to me now. But the reputation of a film that is dangerous is a very, is a William Castle-esque gimmick, you know, that goes back at least to the 50s. Um, you know, that, that's, that's kind of irresistible. You know, I don't know that, I, you know, I've heard that a few people have, experience sleep paralysis after seeing the movie, but I mean, so many people get it anyway, that, you know, trying to draw a direct cause and effect relationship would be pretty tricky. Um, but in your experiences, <laughs> is, is, is sleep paralysis a mental thing? I mean, do you still suffer from it or is it something that only happened to you a couple of times? You know, I think I had it again a couple of months ago, but you know, I would say I have less than once a year. You know, I can remember probably offhand a half dozen um, times it's happened to me in the course of, you know, over 15 years. Um, so it isn't really anything I consider myself struggling with. In the, um, and, and when it happened to me in the course of making the film, you know, I wasn't at all frightened because I was very aware of what was happening. In fact, I decided... I, I, thought to myself that this was a great opportunity to lay back, observe, and take notes. That's rather brave, actually. To, <laughs> to how Can I ask, how did that shape? Because uh, I was talking to my friend David Plate, um, who I believe you're, aware, uh, you're familiar with, uh, David, and he, uh, he said he suffered from sleep, sleep paralysis for years, and that everyone in your movie was so much trying to like forcefully wake themselves up, but that his sort of way that he's learned to ride it out is by surrendering to it rather than fighting it, just sort of let it wash over him. Uh, I'm curious as you sat there with a different perspective of, Oh, I'm just going to do this as research. Did that change the course of the paralysis at all? Well, um, it certainly took away the whole, fear component of it that so was also like what i saw was very different it, it like i didn't you know the, i didn't see you know an intruder i didn't see a shadow person i was just sort of a a more psychedelic light show you know one that looked kind of like 
um, like a neon kaleidoscope. Um, oh, so, so you didn't have the terror factor. You had the experience of sleep paralysis, but it was more of like a kind of a mystical body high with trippy visuals. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly what it was. You know, so it may be that that kind of experience is less, you know, is less disturbing than a shadow person. But um, yeah, you would want you would want to give that to someone else, but those aren't the people that you interview. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, um, yeah. I mean, the the people that you interviewed had real problems. Did you get that? Did you ever get the feeling that somebody was pulling your leg while interviewing? And most of them seem like they're smart, intelligent people. Well, I, I believe everyone that's in the film, I believed, um, you know, I took every, I, you know, I believed everyone I was talking to in the film, you know, a hundred percent. You know, there were other folks that I Skyped with or, um, you know, that I corresponded with who were, I wouldn't, I don't even want to say that I thought they were making it up, but they didn't come through they as authentically to me. And it might just have been that, they were, they were in a different place in their experience and they, you know, and they were just telling a, retelling a story they told a few times and it didn't have the emotional component, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, I, 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 you know, I believe absolutely everyone that I talked to in the film and, you know, based on people who've, you know, come up to me after screenings or who written to me afterwards saying they've gone through similar things, you know, um, I know that other people are going uh, have experienced the same thing. Mm. Uh, it, it's it's funny because we're talking about uh, electricity, the David Bowie thing. I didn't know that. I haven't gotten that far in Twin Peaks yet. So um, it it was it was weird because my own experience with sleep paralysis had a correlation to reading John Kill's Mothman. And there's a part in the book where he goes through what he calls like an electromagnet like field that really terrifies him. And then uh, later on, Michael Perslinger did a lot of uh, work with like the guy. Have you ever heard of the God Helmet where he reproduces some of like the sleep paralysis like visions and stuff? Oh, like, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is, is that guy? In, I think he's in Kentucky and he talks about how I don't know if it's endorphins or something, something neurological. Well, it's like the, it's you know, like in the right brain. He puts a magnetic field in the right brain and they'll have like. Uh, seeing devils and like 80% of the people who put on this helmet will see like fire coming from the up underneath them or have the feeling that other people are in the room. It's exactly what the, the terrifying aspect of sleep paralysis, those individuals experience as well. I mean, because dreaming and stuff like that is in the right brain. So it's like some kind of paranoid misfunction of the electromagnetic thing is what John Keel called it with the Mothman. And so I started raising my own energy as if it was like some kind of occurrence through electricity electricity or electromagnet without thinking about entities or anything like that. I just protected myself by raising my energy and meditating and relaxing all my muscles before sleep. So there wasn't any conflict between my brain's activity and my body's activity, if that makes any sense. But it's funny because... Yeah, I think so. And again, this was something I wasn't expecting, but it's... it's it, it seems like the majority of the people I spoke to also reported feeling like a static electricity, like going through them. Right. One guy said you know, that and, he... And hearing buzzing noises right. and stuff. It, he knew he was going to have it because he would feel a shock between the minute he went to sleep. I forgot about that. But yeah, the static pop. And that wasn't... That was neither what I remembered experiencing nor something that I read, that, that I read about in most people's accounts. You know, that was something that I just 
that that only came out, you know, in these longer, you know, person to person interviews. That's amazing. Alan. Yeah, please. Uh, uh, considering like um, I, I mentioned they live because. Uh, well, not only does is the aliens beaming stuff through people through the TV station, right? But they're also yeah. Ooh, David uh, Bowie. There's there's the connection. Uh, someone has pointed out, and my uh, my friend Jeremy has pointed out that the prop used in They Live, the the like handheld device, is the same prop from Ghostbusters, the EKG meter. So oh, the yeah? a- the alien and the dead are the same synonymous. Thing. So you have oh, like wow. contacting the alien world, contacting the the world of the dead. Uh, I guess my question is like, how? "Quote unquote," literally, and I, it, do you take the idea of if a sleep paralysis f- experience is different from a hallucination in that it's not a total wild hallucination? Everything looks like it normally does, except there's the addition of this creature or this entity. Do you consider that possibly it is like a they live scenario where, in this one particular state, you're able to see? this thing that maybe is always there that you just can't always see or, or something like that. Um, well, I, I totally see that as a possibility. I mean, I kind of leave it as an open-ended question in the film, whether, you know, these things that people see are from within or without, you know, whether it's something projected, you know, from, from your own brain or whether it's a sensitivity to something that's usually invisible. And it's kind of where the film ends, you know, as Chris is kind of hovering on the line between thinking one way and thinking the other i'm actually kind of surprised i think they live there might have been an there 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 might have been an interesting opportunity to explore the question of you know are these glasses reliable is this just a hallucination (laughs) um i I kind of like the way you know the other you know during that you know incredibly long fist fight that his friend is like i don't want to know i don't want to see i'm happier which is kind of like the guy in the matrix who's like I'm happier within the fake world. Um, I'm, kind of, I'm, I'm going to stay there. Knowing the truth about this stuff has not made is, is has not made me a happier person. Has not made my life more comfortable. Okay, so I'm going to pick up on a thread of this whole David Bowie thing because in talking to Philip K. Dick's friends and family, they directed us to the fact that you know he was really trying to investigate if there were secret messages in David Bowie's work. Do you get what I mean? Um, okay. So in the Vallis storyline, Mother Goose would equal David Bowie, where uh, Philip K. Dick went to a movie and was like, holy crap, this movie just expressed me this whole mystical experience that I had, right? Uh-huh. Um, um, but also like the Whitley Strieber, and we're talking about like moving over from the land of the dead through the TV. That's exactly what happens, like you say, at the end of the nightmare. The guy actually goes into the TV world where the land of the dead with the 42 on the wall and so forth and so on. Um, uh, but also like the whole idea of aliens with the static aliens and them being represented as like TV static. Now, Whitley Strieber, mm-hmm. I have this weird, like, sync connection that somehow, like, the Valix experience and, like, the Whitley Strieber's claiming that, you know, his interpretation of the visitors was based on his, him being, from the, from the point of view of a science fiction writer to begin with. Like, he doesn't, doesn't know if they were physical or just a product of who he was interpreting a mystical event that happened to him. 
But I connected that David Bowie is actually in The Hunger from the 1983 adaptation of the Whitley Strieber movie. Do you know what I'm saying? And so there's like, it's weird. It feels like, it feels like there's like this cosmic consciousness like linking these ideas together because they're more related than our current understanding. Like it's a feedback loop. Like the media, yeah. media creates the, the idea of these demons and so it's like a chicken and an egg thing i can't and and you 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 know where i'm batting around at here well yeah i mean we talk about it you know maybe a little obliquely you know within the film that you know these these stories go back hundreds or thousands of years and you know is it the stories that are influencing you know these sleep paralysis experiences or just sleep paralysis experiences inspire the stories i know um there was a metaphor that I used to like that I used to use a lot, but kids today probably <laughs> won't be able to relate to it. But like in the first wave of like MP3 players, they used to they, they used to be able to download. They call them skins, so that like your little totally. iTunes player could look, you know, like a boombox, or it could look like, you know, a piece of science fiction technology. Um, and that kind of had a huge made made it had a huge impact on me. I remember, you know, after looking at a couple of those and the ways that we could, you know, each navigate the controls in a completely different interface. I after that I watched the movie Alphaville, uh, the Godard film, and you know it's kind of amazing because it takes place arguably in the future on another planet, but he just shot it, you know, in contemporary uh, Paris. And I was like, well, maybe this movie is taking place so far in the future that somebody who has a thing for 1960s Paris can just choose to layer that as a skin, you know, over the whole world. And somebody else is walking Ooh. through that. <laughs> somebody, else, somebody else is walking through it, you know, and it looks like Star Wars or it looks like, you know, Times Square in the 70s. We have one that can see. <laughs> so um, you mentioned folk tales. Um, I, I threw you something on Facebook, the idea that uh, Lewis Carroll, uh, you know, most famous for Alice in Wonderland, um, which has a girl going through this sort of uh, rabbit hole into the, the fantasy world, into the other dimension, if you will. But uh, she, remember, she falls asleep and then wakes up at the end that the whole thing is a dream. Um, oh, people, Dorothy. People, Right, I and mean, we've exactly uh, the the, the it, film of Oz does the same thing. Um, so these are these are sleep stories. Uh, we also have, um, if you want to go in that route, uh, people talk about both of those stories as connected to like MK Ultra type uh, deals. But we also have uh, I I pulled up because I remembered this thing in my memory that your movie jogged out of me was that Lewis Carroll had a. Um, another book called Sylvie and Bruno, which is all about the fairy world. Right. And he describes these yeah. different psychic states in which the two worlds can interact at varying degrees. And they really sound like Through what media. you're exploring. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then, it, then it occurred to me as you, I'm watching your film about the, the shadow man and the hat man, that there's a mad hatter. Right. Right. So that we are, even have this figure in there. You don't have to go down the Lewis Carroll route, but I'm curious, <laughs> the route of, say, folk tales and even things like fairy lore, how does this, how do we keep seeing these things reoccurring, and uh, are they all sort of expressing very similar ideas? 
Yeah, well, I saw that chart. Um, I, I was unfamiliar with it um, before he had posted it. And it kind of blew me away how related that seemed, you know, to, you know, what we were talking about in the movie and uh, these different states of consciousness. Um, but the Mothman thing, which uh, you were talking about earlier, you know, there's, so, you know, so many weird coincidences, so, so many weird connections with that, too, since, you know, not only Chris refers briefly to the Mothman because there's like drawing of the like sort of dark figure with the red eyes. Um, but... I know the movie better than the book, but my understanding is that the book was the first mention of the men in black who are, you know, the prototypical hat men. Right. Um, although, shadow shadow um, government equals shadow people in a weird way. Yeah. Although like the meaning of, of I, I think there's multiple ideas about who they really are. Um, some, and some, including dead people, including dead people. Yeah. Some of which are quite different from one another and certainly Freddy Krueger. You know, kind of embodies that look, you know, more clearly than most anyone. So I I like how the weird thing also about the Freddy Krueger thing is it 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 borrowed different aspects from different people's dreams. Like the metal claw came up too, that I didn't expect. I didn't know that was part the physical claw giving pain. That's horrible. You know, I'm I'm going to confess um, that I didn't make the connection between the metal claw. And Freddy Krueger, until you just, until you said it now, I probably would have put a shot of him in at that point. Um, I thought but, you did. I I thought that yeah, that point was that. made in the film. Maybe that's just the that's the sink head watching it. But right. yeah, that was no. Well, uh, there's because what was nuts to me is like Chris, you know, talked about the metal claw that attacked him, and you know that seemed like an outlying event to me. Like I'd never heard anyone else describing something like that. But then Kate you know, who sort of educated herself about the history um, and folklore of sleep paralysis mentioned metal claws, you know, as, as another element of them. Um, you know, so we got, so we, so we did a quick flash there to connect those two, but Oh God, Freddy Krueger is a total um, metal claw. And, you know, I talked to Wes Craven briefly on the phone while I was working on the film. Really? And he, re and he retold to me the same story, a story that, you know, that you know, I've come across in an interview or two where Nightmare on Elm Street was inspired by newspaper articles of um, you know people dying of young people dying in their sleep, you know, and they were Laotian immigrants. And um, there's like a three. There's an amazing. There's a book called Sleep Paralysis by Shelley Adler, um, where she talks about how like 120 guys died like in the 70s. Um, mysteriously in their sleep and she was putting forth the notion that they were afraid of you know the sleep paralysis demon that it had a you know powerful you know folklore um in their culture and that they were separated when they when they you know fled laos for the u.s they didn't have access to traditional um, remedies for it they were terrified of it, and they had congenital heart defects, which was kind of a perfect storm of tragedy um, that hit over the course of a couple of years. And Wes Craven read about one of them and imagined, you know, a character who was afraid to sleep because of something that was coming in their in their dreams, and married it to a memory he had of sort of a frightening old man that he saw out the window of his bedroom when he was a kid, you know, and from there. Sprang Freddy Krueger. 
Wow, that's a lot to think about. It. Hmm. So, I wonder, I mean, because what we've been talking about here is a lot of different subjects. Uh, as far as sync is concerned, which I guess would be this weird, loose, free associative uh, connection making between different films as if they you could group the concepts of those films together. Um, recently, we just had uh, one of the sync book writers, Joe Alexander, who, whose work I think you're familiar with, Go. Oh, sure. Joe's amazing. Absolutely viral. I, I wonder what you think about his newest video. I think that's um, that, that was the best sync video I've ever seen. And I was excited to see it break, you know, to break kind of wide. Um, and, it, you know, it was funny to track people's reactions and as they were struggling to to make sense of it. Um, yeah. And you know, I was incredibly impressed. And, exci- and excited to see it, you know, bounce, you know, bounce, bounce, you know, all over th- throughout the culture. And how do you how do you deal with that? I mean, like, how much do you believe? And and also with your experience with two, three, seven, how do you juggle all of these sometimes conflicting views of all of this work? I don't know. Yeah, I'm perfectly happy with unresolved issues, you know, <laughs> fighting, fight, fighting it out, you know, in my brain. Um, you know, I enjoy, I, I, I listened to your interview with him a couple of days ago while I was painting the house. Um, and you know, I, that there was that part where towards the end where, you know, he was describing the insights that his girlfriend had about, you know, Robert Zemeckis thinking about the future and that he was probably very fascinated with the world trade center. Um, so that it could be more than a coincidence, um, uh, that was fascinating. It's, it's, yeah, I think about that, and as far as like, um, you know, Andros Jones or David Bowie, like the the person's own life issues get kind of reflected through what they get involved with, and in this in this like you can't help but it, where where does inspiration come from, and how does inspiration affect the future? Yeah, well, and you know the weirdness with you know. Andras having been in a Elm Street movie and me and him share a birthday. Um, so you guys <laughs> kind of like resonate. I mean, Sinkheads would use the word resonate. Yeah. But I mean, okay. So as far as like thinking about these entities through sleep paralysis, if they do or don't exist or where Sink comes from, do you think aliens, Rodney? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, I'm happy. I'm perfectly happy for leaving, leaving it unresolved. You know? <laughs> I'm, all, I'm always more about, que- I'm more about questions than I am about answers. So, uh, do you think it's like collective, would you go more Jungian with it at all? Well, which well, way do you lean? I know you're saying well, it's what, unresolved, but which way do you lean? What, well, what's interesting is, um, there's a there's a scene in the movie where a guy talks about like seeing all these lights and colors and we do sort of this video feedback thing. And I found online, this artist, Sabrina Rate, who does amazing um, video art, um, you know, with video feedback. And I approached her to do the effect for that scene. And, you know, I was happy that, that she agreed. Um, And I was talking to her about the project and she recommended a book to me that she'd been reading, which was, um, I forget the exact title, but it's 
something about flying saucers by Carl Jung. And as I was reading the first couple of pages, it was so on target to what I was doing that it was spooky, where he says, you know, thousands of people are reporting, you know, encounters with UFOs and with aliens. And if that's really happening, it's one of the most important stories of our day. And if it's not really happening, but thousands of people are perceiving encounters with UFOs, right. it's incredibly fascinating and one of the most important stories of our day. Right. And the same thing would go with, like, as far as sinks concerned or sleep paralysis or so forth and so on. Yeah, well, and shadow people, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the number of people who are having these experiences that, you know, that feel all for the world like supernatural experiences, you know, is... I'm, I, I continue to be surprised every day by having to adjust that number upwards and upwards. Um, and I know there's actually, there's actually a Laurie Anderson song, you know, that I love where it was kind of a spoken word thing where she's talking about as she was growing up, you know, the very everyday um, people in her sphere, the adults, you know, we're all talking about Bible stories and, there didn't seem to be anything supernatural about them or the world she lived in. So for her, it felt very surreal to hear people talking about, you know, magic and talking snakes and things. But, you know, I've kind of come around to say that so many people believe in the supernatural because a lot of them have experienced it, even if they're, you know, um, shy about talking about it. Okay. Go ahead, Alan, please. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm just real quick. Um, so that I want to bring tie a few pieces together here because uh, Will asked you about the reaction to Joe's video, and I've seen like I actually when I was looking up the nightmare on Netflix, I was looking at the comments there. I've looked at comment, you know, reviews of Room Two Three Seven. Now I want to be very clear. I I love your work. I'm very happy with what you're doing, but I do see the reaction could go either way. There's very little oh. middle ground. There's either people like, this is ridiculous, why I just like, I wasted my fucking time, or it's like, hey, this is, this is amazing. And I see with Joe's video, as we watch this go around, most people either treated it as a joke or just dismissed it. Joe himself said he was, you know, at least 80% of the comments on YouTube are saying, this is quote-unquote retarded. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and most people dismiss this. Um, but I think your point there of this, whatever is happening, whatever answer or causality or not we want to attribute to it, it's an important story. So do you, is that what helps you sort of get through the dismissive, you know, reactions or how do you feel about that? Well, uh, you know, when I started 237, I really thought that I was making an underground movie that, you know, I might show in a storefront um theater for 15 people on folding metal chairs i mean the wow. fact that you know and that it might get a couple thousand views on youtube i mean the fact that it broke wider than that and is something that people have talked about i mean is the definition of success for you know a filmmaker or you know a writer or anyone that wow you know something that you do is worth discussing and tossing around that it's opens up a conversation you know, the number of people who have responded positively to it have completely inoculated me, you know, against people who don't like it. Um, you know, and the majority of people who don't like it, you know, when I read what they say, 
to me, it feels like they don't get it or that they were expecting something different. You know, mm. a lot of them just seem to have wanted to, to have gone into it expecting a behind the scenes movie about the making of The Shining. You know, and yeah, if you're looking for that, you would be <laughs> pretty thoroughly disappointed <laughs> yeah. uh, by, by 237. And likewise, if you're looking for, you know, a scientific documentary, you know, about sleep paralysis with neurologists talking about REM stages, you'd be pretty disappointed too. So I think a lot of the negatives that I've gotten are just a case of people going into it, you know, expecting something different. But, you know, I'm trying to make something that is, you know, playing with a format and has got, you know, a pretty, uh, I don't know, idiosyncratic take on the material. So I'm not expecting it you know, to to be universally loved. You know, there are also, you know, not $100 million blockbusters that require, you know, a gigantic amount of mainstream success in order to be considered, you know, successful. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm completely at ease, you know, with people, you know, talking trash about that, <laughs> talking trash about them. Um, you know, as often as not, I get a kick out of it, especially in, the, in, in 237, even more than The Nightmare, because it's about, you know, people having, you know, a very distinct reaction, you know, to a movie. You know, when people have very distinct reactions to 237, you know, it's history repeating itself as farce. So, <laughs> you know, I, us- I, I usually just enjoy it um, as to, to see radically different, you know, reactions to it. Okay, well, wrapping up, I know that I asked you already before we started, you know, recording the show, but is there anything that people can look forward to from you? Or better yet, let's ask this question. If you had the ability to do whatever topic interested you (laughs) the most right now, what would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Uh, boy, I don't know. It's a slow softball that um, <laughs> I, I I might not be able to hit, you know, because I'm I'm in the process of you know sort of writing two or three different things in that 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 are coming from different places, so they all explore you know kind of similar themes. Um, um, um <laughs> I know that, that that should be the easiest question in the world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to throw you a curveball softball or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand myself. It's much easier for me to, um, I don't know, talk about what other people should be doing than what I should be doing. Um, well, what would you most want to see then? Um, oh, I'd love to see like a, a nine-hour HBO um, uh, adaption of uh, House of Leaves. Wow. Well, I think... Well, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, no, as I say, I'll start making some phone calls. I'll have it free. Now, so. <laughs> well, that'd be that. That would be that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I'm doing a couple different things, and one of them might be a series of shorter, shorter stuff. You know, that are, you know, for lack of a better word, like true stories of the unexplained. So, you know, I'm happy to, um, uh, <laughs> to you know, to hear about freaky stuff that's been happening to people. Wow. Well, the, well, you know, that was 42 minutes. We appreciate your time and thank you for spending it with us. 
Oh, sure. Great to talk to you guys. And now you've been listening to Rodney Asher on SyncBook Radio, a production of thesyncbook.com. For more information about Mr. Asher, where would you direct him, sir? I'll just go to my site, uh, rodneyasher.com. And there's a, a link to my Twitter or whatever from there. And for more information about the Sync Book, our guests to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a Sync Book Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archives, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the host. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thank you so much. And sleep tight. When you've got no more assurance than a great big hunk of lead, if you don't respond to romance, Jack, you dead. When a chick is smiling at you, even though there's nothing said, if you stand there like a statue, Jack, you dead. You've been always kicking, but you stubbed your toes. When you ups and kicks the bucket, just like old man Mose. When you get no kicks from loving, and you blow your top instead, it's a fact that you ain't living. Jack, you did. Nobody, since you gone and lost your head, rigor mortis or set in, Daddy. Jack, you dead. What's the use of having muscles when your life hangs by a thread? If you ain't got no red car puzzles, Jack, you dead. You've been always kicking, but you stubbed your toes when you ups and kicks the bucket. Just like old man Mose. When you get no kicks from loving and the news begin to spread, all the cats will holler, murder. Jack, you dead. All the breath has leaked out of you. When your friends gather around the bed and look at you and say, mm, 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 don't he look natural? When that happens to you, daddy, Jack, you dead. Thank you, Rodney. It was really a pleasure to speak to you again. Yeah, good to talk to you. Hey, uh, real quick, I'm going to oh, be yeah. uh, I'm going to be speaking to uh, Mark Hosmer again in the next week, uh, doing an interview with him. Um, have you guys ever spoken? I'm not sure. Mark Hosmer. Uh, Hosmer from Negative Land. He's the oh, founder awesome. of Negative Land. Yeah, and no, I'm a fan, but I don't know those guys. Okay, I I I had I've been having a sort of thought that like when I was realizing I was to speak to the, both of you again, I spoke to both of you last year uh, around the Sync Summit. And realized that this sort of timing out again, and I was like, I feel like there needs to be a, a conversation there. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I know that their uh, their, their cover of U two was um, made a gigantic impression on me. Um, you know, uh, you know, as a weird way of 
um, you know, kind of mixing, mixing genres. You know, if I like to mix kind of genre film and documentary, that's kind of, you know, a piece of a, a documentary artifact that's been put to music. Um, you know, I just love that kind of thing. Awesome. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going to hit you up after I speak to him because I think maybe uh, I might, I might want to sort of, if, if you're at all interested, I, I'm going to see if we can schedule something. Maybe we could do uh, a short little something with like, the three of us or something. Well, sure, if it makes sense. Yeah, you got it. I, I feel like the, the next, you know, for me, um, I, I, know, I know Will's got to go, and, but I just want to say uh, I noticed even in The Nightmare, most of it was reshot, like, you know, re- reenactments and, and creating footage, but there was still some sort of, um, uh, you know, by touching on Nightmare and Elm Street and things like that, by using other footage, and perhaps you said you spoke to Wes Craven, so maybe that was something you got permission for or, or whatever. But the sort of direction, to me, it just seems like still a really important uh, topic, particularly as we go into things like the uh, TPP and stuff like that. What is happening with copyright seems to be going in one of two very strong directions at the same time. So, Yeah, well, it's like a lot of things in the culture seem to be moving in <laughs> yeah. opposite directions. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is very, which is which which is very weird, um, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I see room two, three, seven very much in the context, you know, more in the context of you know remix and cut up films than I do, you know, documentary, you know, so negative land, you know, is a big is 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 one of you know a few inspirations for that, because I used to I used to live in San Francisco and. I was a big fan of Craig Baldwin's um, and, you know, I know Craig a little bit and I've seen, saw a ton of screenings that he's put together. Um, so I, I'm drawing from what he's done and Bruce Connor and people more than, uh, I don't know, Michael Moore or somebody. Yeah. It, it definitely comes through in your work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Have a great night. I'll talk to you both soon, okay? All right. Bye, guys. All right. We'll take it easy. Thank you bye. so much. Bye now.